is it really a good movie unless Anne Hathaway does sex to your ears? I'm going to say no. I'm going to have to agree. Just a little bit? Just a little bit. I mean, this is a whole movie where there is more than one instance of Anne Hathaway doing sex to your ears. That's... And there isn't even a sex scene in the movie. That's James. Hi. I'm America. Yep. You've ceased perching. I did. My toes hurt. You made this whole big stink about it. I did, and then I stopped. It only took 45 seconds. Alrighty. Leave me alone. We watched Ocean's 8. It's true. Now, for a little background, um, James is in love with the Ocean's movies. I wouldn't say in love. More like clinically obsessed. He has seen them so many times. There's a lot of times. He listens to the soundtrack a lot. A lot of times. It's it's a lot. I've I've listened to that and watched those movies so much. I have not. I've seen each one of them one time, including this one. So Really? I haven't made you sit down and watch the Oceans trilogy more? No, you made me watch it one time, and that's about the extent of that. Interesting. Now, now that we have a movie podcast, I might have to make you watch them again so that we can review them. I, I'm good. Oh. I'm good. Oh. I do not love them as much as you do. They were good movies to watch one time. Oh. Oh, no, we're not saying that James liked this movie. I liked this movie. I won't say I liked the movie. There are some things in it that were really good. There were some things in it that were not really good. And we're going to get into all of those things over the next two hours. But what I will say is IMDb has this movie scored at a 6.3 in terms of stars, which is an average review being 6.3 stars out of 10. And I think that's fair. I think the public has not made a mistake on this movie. I think the, it there's some things that are good. There's some things that are bad. That's pretty much, yeah. I liked it. But I also liked every single person in the cast. So it's true. It's I don't true. know if this is a fair assessment because literally like all of my favorite actresses were in this movie. All of them. <laughs> You're not wrong. So let's start from the beginning because just we, we, we do this a lot. This is going to be a recurring trend where the movie plays the hits from the first movie. So Steven Soderbergh didn't direct or produce the thing like he did with the first three Oceans movies. This is some guy named Gary, and it shows. Uh, I don't know. Now, bearing in mind, this is the same Gary who did The Hunger Games. Okay. I think... No, you can't just say things and not know them. I'm, Cite actually, your sources. You, you Didn't you go to college? Uh, yeah, and I got out knowing how to make movies, not how to review them. I'm going to need you to cite your sources, sir. Hang on. Working on it. Clicking. I'm clicking. Gary. It's Gary Ross. He did do The Hunger Games. Just one of them or all of them? Uh. uh he's done a lot of writing. He has not done a lot of directing. Uh, Just he, dir the first he directed one. the first Hunger okay. Games movie. Okay, that's not so bad. The first one was really. He good. also directed Free State of Jones, which is another movie I liked. Don't know that movie. That's uh, it's a McConaughey movie. You've never watched it. Mm-hmm. 
He's also, oh, that's fun. I'll save that for the end. Um, okay, so. My first note about this movie is that the cast is insane. There is a fuckload of celebrities in this cast. And I mean a fuckload of celebrities in this cast. Not even just, like, in the critical, like... In the core it, cast. Yeah, in the core eight, which, first of all, the star power and comedic, like, con- like people that are in this cast are some of my favorite people. I feel like there's just such a diversity. I mean, you have Helena Bonham Carter next to Mindy Kaling next to Sarah Paulson. Like, that's three different genres of actresses right there, including... And then you've got your leading ladies of Sandra Bullock and Anne Hathaway. Like, it was just insane. And Kate Blanchett. And Kate Blanchett. Like, you just had so many insane awesome people you had aquafina you had rihanna like we just covered so many versatile spaces with the cast and the i really liked the chemistry with them all i thought they all did great from an actor's perspective i liked them all i don't know what my problem is i don't like kate blanchett kate blanchett's a very talented individual but I just don't like watching stuff that she's in. I don't know if it's a her thing for me, but I, it's not my cup of tea, you know? But that's fine. Because if you were... the the One of the overwhelming challenges that you're going to have when you go to make a sequel to the original Ocean's trilogy is you need to find a one and two leading duo that's going to stand up to... Uh, George Clooney and Brad Pitt. And George Clooney and Brad Pitt have flawless chemistry. Even if you don't like the Oceans movies, you'll watch the first three Oceans movies and you go, it's just, they're just, it's like best friends in real life. They act like best friends would in real life, right? So you need to match that minimum. Go above and beyond that even better, but you gotta match it. And Sandra Bullock and Kate Blanchett didn't do it for me. I like Sandra Bullock. Not huge on Kate Blanchett, but that's just a me thing. I don't think there's an actual issue there. I think it it played nicely. Um, I thought Sandra Bullock was in the originals. No. That's my second note. No. What made me think Sandra Bullock was in the original? Because Oceans? Julia Roberts is in the originals, and Julia Roberts is a lot like Sandra Bullock yeah. in that they both became superstars during the same time period. Those two are very frequently like just interchangeable in my head for some reason. So yes. that's that's where I got that from. Because I, th- I thought it was like really great. I was like, oh, it's going to be like a continuation because I thought Sandra Bullock was in the originals. But now it would have been really fucking weird if that was the case because. This lady, whose name I don't actually remember. Which lady? Which ocean is in this movie? Oh, Debbie? Debbie. Debbie Ocean. Debbie Ocean is Danny Ocean's brother. Sister. Sure. They're related in a sibling fashion. Julia Roberts was married to George Clooney in the first three. Yeah, I thought it was going to be like his wife, like... Doing her own thing. That's what I... She's not a... She doesn't do crime. When I saw the previews, that's what I thought it was going to be. Um, Because, again, I think I just interchanged Sandra Bullock and Julia Roberts in my brain. But Sandra Bullock being his sister also works out. Yes. Uh, Right off the bat, we're playing the hits. She's in jail. 
paroled uh, interview about what she's going to do when she gets out. It plays just like the first movie, which to some people, that hits the nostalgia button with a hammer. It's great. For me, I was like, oh, cool. We didn't write anything new. Uh, which you could have. You didn't have to. I'm not saying you absolutely had to write something new, but you could have. You had the opportunity to, and you chose instead to not do that. And for me, I would have loved to see something new because I, my obsession with the movies makes it so that I don't think you can redo that and make it as good. And I'll tell you what, they do a bunch of different shit that makes up for it later. Uh, um, also, out of the New Jersey prison system, which is once again playing the hits, because that's where Danny Ocean leaves prison in the first movie. We then find out that Danny is dead. Do we find that out n- now, or do we find that out after the clever stealing? I'm going to be the one to pull up the synopsis, because... <laughs> I, we find it out now because I do have notes about the brilliant shoplifting. So okay. we do find out Danny is dead. Um, did he die? No. Okay. No, he did not die in any of the movies. I quickly realized how little I actually remember about the Oceans movies. Like, details, <laughs> key details. Like, I remember the overarching plot and, like, the heist and everything. But sure, I was like, sure. well, for example, I thought Sandra Bullock was in the originals. She wasn't. And I didn't uh, see, but here's the thing: I didn't remember Danny dying. I felt like I would remember that if it happened. So I was just like, that that wasn't a thing, right? So we're just we just needed to end the Danny Ocean line so we could start the Debbie Ocean line. I take it is kind of what they're doing. Why? Do, okay, so I've got the note about the shoplifting, and then I have a note about Elliot Gould reprising his role because she mentions Danny's death. Oh, on her way out the prison, right? Yeah. Okay. And then she goes to the cemetery, which is where she meets um, But that's post-stealing. Yes. So, no. So here's here's the order of it. God damn it. My notes don't track with what you're saying the plot is. Would you listen to my words? So we just got out of prison. She mentions Danny's dead. Okay. Now we're going to go on our really awesome shoplifting spree. Fabulous. Then we're going to go to the cemetery. Terrific. Oh, that's exactly how I remember it happening in my head. And that is exactly what I just said, and you're like, You good? My ears itched. Okay. I thought you were trying to turn them on or something. (laughs) No, they itched. All right, so, um, because my next note is we're getting this, uh, she leaves prison, so we get, like, this, like, B-roll footage of New New York, which... Always a fan of B-roll footage of New York. But then we did this, and I couldn't figure it out. There was, like, this... This is my only, like... It's one of my few bad notes about this movie because it just didn't make sense to me. We had, like, this really weird zoom onto nothing. And then we broke into her, like, in the store. And it was really confusing to me. I like, don't remember that. We just, well, this, it was really jarring for me. Like, it was just this... Like I said, this B-roll footage of New York. And then we zoomed in on, like, a street... It was a super slow zoom, so I thought they were, like, trying to show us something or set something up or, like, observe something. And then we just zoomed in on, like, this manhole cover, and then we just cut inside the store. And I was like, what? That was, it was just really weird and really jarring and didn't make a lot of sense at all. Um, but then, yes, we do, 
I mean, she needs to pick up some new stuff because she just got out of prison. She only has $45. So she goes on the best shoplifting spree and tactic I've ever seen, movie or real life. Quite clever. She goes up to the, she like picks a bunch of stuff off the shelves. She's like, I'd like to return these. And the lady's like, do you have your receipt? She's like, no, I don't have my receipt. Like, blah, blah, blah. She's like, well, I really need your receipt. Like, I can't return them. She's like, I literally, like, she starts to go out Karen. And eventually she's like, fine, I'll just keep them. Can I at least have a bag? And so she just picked stuff off the shelves, tried to return it. They told her she couldn't return it. And she's like, fine, I'll just take this. And so she just got a bunch of free stuff. I wish I'd thought of it. Very clever. It's very clever. And I wish I had any of the cool to pull off shoplifting. I don't. Just so we're clear. <laughs> Not great at it. Um, yeah, so we do, we go on through um, that scene and then we see her leave the place with a bunch of other bags. Um, so we assume that she's now done this several times. And then we go and we um, need a place to stay. So we're going to go to a hotel. I didn't see which hotel it was. Um, I don't know that it actually matters. Well, I was wondering if it was the plaza or something, but I didn't get to really see which hotel in New York it was. But we go to a hotel and she runs another grand scheme to get a free night in a room there where she basically just overhears someone leaving and then calls and goes, hey, actually, we need to, like, extend our stay instead of cancel it because our flight got canceled. Gets a free room, takes a bubble bath, changes her clothes. Whole nine yards. She's good to go. And then, yeah. Go visit the brother. The dead one. We then meet Lou, who is running a scheme where she fills up vodka bottles with mostly water and a little bit of vodka so she's making more bang for her buck and um she gets a call from debbie ocean or a text message to meet her at the cemetery and then um i it's at this point that i'm like i kind of love this movie like, I, I genuinely was like, I was like, I kind of love it, and which is controversial. Hot take, but I did. I really <laughs> loved it. It was all of that whole opening sequence of her just doing the basic crime thing before we even got to the big crime thing was really good. It was really ex- well executed. It was smart. It was funny. Um, so, and Debbie Ocean's kind of amazing. I'll, I'll, I'll say it. So then we are at the cemetery visiting Danny Ocean's headstone, kind of, uh, tomb, and she just makes this line that does, like, leave the door open for if they ever do want to bring Danny Ocean back into this, they could. If they could ever afford George Clooney again. Yeah, if George Clooney ever wanted to do this again, because she makes a line of, you better be in there, and there's several times in the movie where she alludes to the fact that she doesn't know if he's actually dead or not, or if it's just a con that he's dead. So that he can go about doing probably more crime things. I think that, honestly, I think they wrote it that way so that in case they bomb, but Warner Brothers still wants to make more, they can go, okay, well, green light Clooney. Clooney's not dead. Get, get me get me stars with penises. Let's go. Hey. Like, I'm, all I'm saying is, 
I people make a big deal about trying to be politically correct and all this shit. And I think they pre-set themselves up a way to bail out of an all-female heist cast in case it tanked. Why can't we have both? That's a great question. I would love a combination of cons between the cast from the original trilogy and this cast because they're all fabulous. They're all really good. Um... And it's at this point, like, that when we're talking about, like, Danny and Debbie and the fact that she's his sister, it, I, I just honestly feel like that if Danny had this brilliant criminal sister, we would have seen her in some of the other Ocean movies before now. Or heard about her. Did we? Yes, James. No, now you say she's this brilliant criminal. But I have a note a lot later in the movie. Around when... She gets uh, debated? Yeah, around when... It's 24 notes deep when we get the flashback. Yeah. And I'll bring it up again there later. But as a teaser for you... Debbie Ocean fucking sucks. And we'll I'll explain why later. But bear this in mind... The five years in prison drastically altered the way this character operates based on all the facts given to the audience. Now, she's at the cemetery and she mentions, like she says out loud, come out, Ruben, I know you're there. And we get our first little cameo uh, from original cast. Uh, in the form of Elliot Gould, who some of you will know as uh, Ross and Rachel's dad from Friends, uh, which is actually the first place I ever saw him act. And then I saw him in the Oceans movies, but I already loved him already because he was incredible. Uh, he's really funny. He is really funny. And he is the, in the original trilogy, he's the guy who bankrolls the first heist. He owns casinos in Vegas. He is a big money guy. Right? He's basically there to talk her out of doing whatever imagined con she has lined up uh, and deliver the message to her from her dead brother to not do this, blah, 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 blah. And then his cameo's over and nothing really comes of it. It was really it's just such to get him fan in there. service. It's yeah. such fan service. Uh, which I don't hate, but I'm like, eh, we could have done more with him. I mean, it's more of this nostalgia train. Like, we keep doing this with these reboots and these, like, next sequels, I guess, where, um, that's what I wanted to write down. Um, where we, we really do do this fan service. I mean, they did it with, uh, Jurassic world when we got that one like there was so bringing the original animatronic in the jeep um we did it with star wars the reboots of those like there's so many of these that things. went over super well <laughs> there's so many of these things where we're just like going to play the hits for the sake of the nostalgia button because we all know the millennials are the nostalgia generation like that's our thing and so we really are gonna get in art history textbooks 50 years from now, talk about how in the 
late tens, early twenties of the two thousands, we started obsessively trying to reconnect with childhood movies by remaking them and almost always they simply were not as good. I'm trying to think if there's been one that's really Jurassic stu- been Jurassic has been the most successful. Yeah, but like I feel like Jurassic World was good. And then I I do believe I saw the second one and it was just like not. I still don't know how we're making them. I guess is how what I'm going to say, but I also don't know how there were originally 3 Jurassic Park movies. So Oh, yeah. Eh. Um, but yeah, I think there is this whole culture that we're in right now of nostalgia and it does sell because people are like, oh yes, my childhood, like, ah, I want to go see those actors. I want to go see this thing. Like, I want to remember a simpler time in my life. Really what everyone wants is the ability to watch a movie again for the first time and relive the absolute glory it is to watch something that you really, really love for the first time. With no preconceived notions as to what it's about. Like, if someone actually said this... We're off base here on the plot. But someone said this a while ago. It was... I saw it on something, like a TikTok or something. It was a TikTok I sent it, it to you. It was a, a, super, a, a superpower. Yeah, a superpower is to be able to watch watch a movie, love it, and then choose to forget everything about that movie in order to watch it again for the first time. How incredible it would be for literally anyone from any generation to do that with any piece of art they really, really liked. Can you, even for like albums, music, going to see a show that you've never seen for the first time, Broadway plays that you've never seen. Can you imagine the fucking insane glory there would be to walk into a theater in the late 70s and watch Star Wars A New Hope? for the first time be blown away by it and then the next day you buy another 35 cent movie ticket and you go watch it again for the first time how fucking cool would that be for me if i could watch oceans 11 for the first time 10 times in a row i would do it in a heartbeat everything about it for me is so good the music, the plot, the production, the acting, it's fabulous. It's the same thing now. If you could watch the fucking first Avengers movie for the first time, again and again, how fucking nice would that be? It's such an insane ensemble cast. The score is incredible. It, the plot's kind of mediocre, but it just would be so fabulous. Most superhero movies are, but... Well, it's because we keep rewriting the hits. But it, there's like, only one hit with superhero the movies. First, the first watching the first Batman movie with Christian Bale. There is some in my head that no, I I it, I do understand what you're going for. How incredible would that be? But we can't do that. So you know what we do instead? We hire people who have never written really good stuff before. Besides Gary, Gary's written some good stuff before, and we make them make reboots of stuff in order to recapture the glory. But when you reboot something, you don't ever actually recapture what you hit the first time, no matter how good of a job you do. I would say this is an extraordinarily well-produced movie. Mm -hmm. But it does not recapture the glory of the first oceans for me. It did for me. I mean, a heist movie is a heist movie is a heist movie. 
for me. So, like, I, and I enjoy heist movies. I like them. I just, I didn't see, like, for me, there wasn't a detriment to that. There, I'm trying to think if there was a really solid, good reboot that we've done um, that really recaptured things, and I can't off the top of my head right now. Actually, technically, the Ocean's Trilogy is a reboot of the first Ocean's Eleven movie in the 50s where Frank Sinatra and the Rat Pack starred as Danny Ocean and his crew. True. I, um... There are movies where I would go back and rewatch them, too. Like, uh, there's, like, specific movie experiences that I would like to relive. Um, like, being in the premiere for, uh... Hunger Games, Harry Potter, mm, or rewatching the, Harry Potter movies for the first time. That would be cool. But the Hunger Games Mockingjay Part One, when they rescued Peta, I literally was in the theater thinking I was going to have a heart attack because I was so stressed <laughs> out. And I read the books. I knew what was there going was no to happen. T- There's no tension. I knew Peta was going to be fine, but literally because you didn't see the rescue. Sure. Yeah. In the books, you didn't get that experience. So just sitting there watching it and watching them break in and like all this stuff and just sit- Katniss is trying to talk to Snow and I was just sitting there like, <gasps> like I was, and like in full panic rewatching uh the Breaking Dawn Part Two fight for the first time where oh my like God. it's re- like everybody dies no. and everyone's so stressed out. It- in, a, in an unabashed turn to straight up murder all of your main characters in a very Game of Thronesian way. And to throw off all book lovers, because, like, every book reader in there was, like, freaking the fuck out. And then it's all revealed to be a vision, and you, like, feel this, like, collective sigh come out of the theater, like... <sighs> like and everyone's fucking boyfriend that got dragged there is like, No! <laughs> God damn it! I do think it's a really interesting idea to re to like yeah be able to go recapture those moments. But tangent over with. Now that we've blown f- ten minutes on it, it I don't know the man. So we get it just like we're playing the hits. It's and it's not a bad thing. I want to make that clear when I say we're playing the hits. It's not necessarily a bad thing because everybody likes the hits. So, just like in the first movie, we've got to go with your number one and two duo and explain the heist to each other and the audience, right? Which is Debbie and Lou, Debbie the and Lou, wine char- or the vodka yeah, person. Characters whose names I will not remember unless I watch the movie again. Now you know how I feel every time you make me watch a movie and I'm like, that guy. Yeah, that, that guy. That one. Yeah. <laughs> I know um, all of these actors before I know their character names. You can always They're refer very to famous. them by their actors. So, right. Uh, but Debbie and Lou, uh, we go over the heist, and they know we're stealing jewels, which, and they know exactly where they are, and all this stuff. And it's kind of that way in the original, where they, but it's different, because instead of stealing an item, we're stealing cash. I also like made a note about that. I was like, jewelry? That that's that's it? That's what the big heist is? Yes. Cause at least and correct me if I'm wrong, at least in the other Oceans movies, I feel like there was like a cooler reason for why we were doing the heist that we were doing. Like I don't know, I felt like there was always like a secondary reason as to why we were doing like to either get revenge or So 
the first one, it's like a three-pronged thing. Yeah. Where we're stealing money from three separate casinos at the same time. They're all owned by the same guy, so it's vengeance because he stole Danny Ocean's girl. Mm-hmm. And it's never been done before. To to the character's knowledge. It's never been there's never been a successful casino heist ever in Vegas, right? So that's those are your three sort of like stepping stones to getting everyone on board with doing the heist. And in this movie, it's like, okay, we're stealing jewels. Why? Because that's kind of like my thing is like I felt like there wasn't like really a reason. Like, I mean, she does get revenge on the boyfriend, sure, but it wasn't like just this. Like, I mean, the jewels are like super expensive. They've never been out the vault in fifty years. Like that was their big selling point. But I was just like, it, it didn't sell to me as like as cool of a heist as the other ones did. The stakes on it are not there. For me. Yeah. Mostly because I know I know going in, because this is the fourth, fifth technically movie in a series of movies where you're almost, like you're 99% going to get away with it. There's no stakes for me in this movie. There's no tension. I feel no panic. When you're supposed to feel panic in the movie, I don't have that because I know they're going to do it. And I know it's going to be fine. And even if they hit a snag... It's going to be fine. That being said, when they did run into a snag, they didn't run into a snag while actively doing the heist. So there was just super no tension at all. Now, we've rambled enough. The, we just, we, the, the funny thing to me was the lack of setup for everything. Because they know where the jewels are. They know where they're going to be. They know how to get them to where they want them to be. And all of this happens with no prior anything. Because Debbie spent the last five years in jail. So where the fuck did she learn about any of these things? She said she kept running it through her head over and over and over again until they didn't get caught. That that was the reasoning. I'm not saying it's good reasoning. I'm just saying that's the reasoning that they gave is that she was spent... Feels like a strong days in solitary, just running the the con over and over and over and over in her head until she didn't. They didn't get caught. She knew they needed seven people, and turns out they didn't. They needed eight. Oopsie. They needed nine. And um, she knew that they needed twenty thousand dollars to do it. Also, just a point about the directing in the movie for the first. 10, 15 minutes of the movie, Sandra Bullock gets this close to every other actor she shares a scene with for all of that time. Always just like right fucking here it's with to... the other actors. And it just was like, I, I know some of it's supposed to be like secret, but some of it isn't. It's also... And I was like, why, why, why? If you would let me talk, I'll tell you. I, I'm trying to finish my thoughts so that you can talk. God damn it. <laughs> It's a way to assert dominance in the female world. Oh, you just get really close to people? Because it, it's not something that you do normally. Not even the female world, just in general. Like, the, it's an intimidation tactic. Because people normally don't like people being in their personal space. Ah. So if you get up in their personal space, now you're not only like... First of all, you can communicate secretly and 
like relay secret yeah, information, yeah. but that you're also like you're close enough that you are intimidating them. You breach that personal space. You breach that like social construct boundary. So now you're the one asserting dominance in that relationship. And if they back away, it's kind of, I mean, you see it um, when they tell you to train dogs too, is to like stare at them. And if the dog looks away first, you have the dominance over the dog. If you look away, then the dog has dominance over you. So it's one of those things of just like, I mean, you're pushing yourself into there. It's a general, like, rule of when you're trying to, like, be the um, assertive one in a relationship. Like, for example, if you meet someone, you should be the one to offer your hand because now that puts you in control of the relationship. It's just little uh, psyche tactics that they teach you about interacting with humans. It's an interesting thing. I'll talk to you about that later. I have a point about that. Okay. Um, why did we not see Nineball hack the Met? Are we not going to talk about her going to see the boyfriend? I straight ignored that. Because I thought it was an interesting thing that they didn't do in any of the other movies. And so you I thought it was cool. You skipped a lot to get to Nineball. All right. Carry on. All right. So Debbie Ocean goes to uh, see her ex-boyfriend because we can't. I mean, women love a dramatic flair. She's out of prison. She's going to go and intimidate the last person that fucking put her in prison. I'd do it too. It's fun. Um, but she, she has like a whole fucking prison shank made out of a toothbrush that she like threatens him with and like cuts off one of his buttons in his own gallery. It was highly aggressive. Bit, highly aggressive. A bit much, but I fucking liked it. It, it, was, it was good. It was good. It was just like, wow, this is this is a lot. We have some strong feelings. Um she gets chastised for doing it by Lou when she tells her about it, but... Meh. I mean, a bitch has got to do what a bitch has got to do. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> um, we then meet the person that's going to be our, quote-unquote... They call it a mule, right? The person that moves the... Fence. Fence? W- who are you referring to? Anne Hathaway. Oh, Anne Hathaway's the mark. The mark? She's like the target, but, but she, then, they're not stealing it from her. They're just using her to get to the jewels. Yeah, she plays this famous... Anne Hathaway plays this famous actress whose name I literally don't remember. Daphne Kluger. That name you remember. Yes, because it's outrageous okay. and silly. So she plays Daphne. Anne Hathaway is freaking gorgeous and an amazing actress. I love her. It's nice to see her. Do things. Um. Yeah, I feel like I don't get to see her enough. And all the roles I've seen her in lately um, have been, whoo, like, uh, I haven't seen it, but I've heard bad things about the witches movie she was in, and... We're not going to talk about it, actually. Um, so, just, it's nice to see Anne Hathaway doing good Anne Hathaway shit. Um, so, I really like that they gave her, like, this really prominent, like, powerful role in it. Um, but she's going to be our mark. She's going to the Met Gala. She needs a designer to put her clothes and the designer is going to convince them that they need to wear the really expensive necklace it's 150 million worth and it's called a special name that i couldn't remember it starts with a t um but the necklace has been locked in the vault for 50 years and that it's by cartier but they need a designer who can convince cartier and um, Daphne 
to wear the necklace. So they go and they find this designer. They need someone like high profile, but not super in the limelight, like a kind of off the beaten track designer that's also a little down on their luck. And they finally land on uh, Helena Bonham Carter, who ends up playing the designer named something Rose named Rose. Um, first of all, I am a simp for Helena Bonham <laughs> Carter. I fucking love her. She can do no wrong. She is phenomenal. Didn't know she was in this movie. Super excited and jazzed when I saw her. Um, they find her at a fashion show she is hosting that is not going well. In fact, it is going horrifically bad. Um, deeply in debt. She's deeply in debt. She tried to do this fashion show to, like, save her ass. It didn't go well. She's crying. Well, yeah, if you're going to have Helena Bonham Carter in your movie, you got to have her with smeared mascara and crying in a corner. That's the rules. It's how she looks her best. (laughs) You can't see it in the podcast, but I am looking with very squinty, disdainful eyes at my wife, who I think just said some really silly shit. That is... What? Um, Okay. They basically backhand compliment her... Uh, Debbie and Lou do into doing the job by review, like reading this review or Helena review, reads them this review that was written about her because they're like, no, it wasn't that bad. It's fine. And she's like, oh, yeah, and reads this review. And I wish I could had written it down word for word because it's possibly the most hilarious review I have ever heard of. It's fantastic. Um, just a little incentive to go watch the movie. It was a really funny scene. Um, and that's when, that's Debbie's cue to swoop in and go, well, what if we can make all this go away? Your debt, the bad review, all of it, put you back in the limelight as a really, like, prolific designer. What? Nothing. I'm, I'll deal with it later. Okay. It's a, it's a review that's questionable. Put you back in the limelight as a really prolific designer Get you your money, clear your debt, get your passport back, all of it. She's like, done, because what is she going to say at that point? Exactly. Um, we then go to talking about, we're not there yet. We then go to talking about hiring a hacker, um, because you need a hacker to hack the security system, because it is the fucking Met Gala, and it's the Met in general, which has highly expensive things all around, um, if you don't know. And uh, we talk about, there's this really funny, racist, but funny line um, that's basically like, uh, why are all hackers Russian? And then the line is like, oh. we'll what be Russian hard. Isn't a what Russian isn't a hacker? Um, that's racist against Russians. Just saying. There was a couple questionable lines, actually, that were a little just, like, on the skosh racism <laughs> in this movie. But it's, it's, eh. Um, you have a highly diverse cast, so I guess we'll let it slide. But also, like, hmm. Um, I would also like to point out that then they don't have, a, they don't hire a hacker that's Russian, so. Oh, well, they hire Rihanna. 
Um, we then get introduced to the person that's going to uh, help us fabricate our jewels, which is Mindy Kaling, who I am also a simp for, and literally one of my one of the most amazing people in Hollywood right now, doing the thing for um, actors of her culture. She's writing. She's producing. She ri- like. Created the whole Mindy project. The definition of girl boss, I think, is Mindy Kaling. She, she crushes everything she touches. She really does, and she's funny. She is funny. It's she kind is... of annoying, frankly, that that much talent got packed into one person. It's kind of absurd. It's a very small person. Too. I'm, I'm, it's, it's bothersome, because I feel like I didn't get enough talent, uh, and I have to make up for it by working really hard. It's really annoying. So Debbie um, knows, and I don't remember Mindy Kaling's character's name at all. Amita, I think. It's yeah, something. it's Amita. They, uh, Debbie recruits her to, with the bribe of, all she has to offer. Enough money to get you out of your mother's house. Is that all she has to offer, and she is in. She's like, done, I will make your necklaces for you. And something that I didn't catch, but makes sense later in the movie, because um, right now we're talking about stealing one necklace, right? Something that Debbie says in two... Anita? Amita. Amita in this scene is how long would it take you to make six necklaces? And that's very important in a like in a key way that doesn't make sense until later. But hold on to that. It was it was a nice writing piece that they did include it earlier in the thing, this whole setup for the entire con that's going to happen. And then we meet Nine Ball James. We're right. now back to where you are. I honestly, I don't have many notes about the scene with Nine Ball. So then we recruit we, a hacker. We recruit a hacker, and this is the start of a recurring theme in the movie where we go from A to Z without touching the rest of the alphabet. We know we gotta hack the Met, right? Gotta hack the art gallery to do everything else we need to do, okay? There is no explanation. You don't even need to do a visual one. You could have Rihanna say how she did it. There is no explanation as to how, with absolutely no perceived time, she has instant access to the security cameras of the Met Gala, which should be, in my eyes, a difficult task to complete, right? I mean, maybe for me, the issue is that in the first movie, in order to hack their way into the security cameras of the Bellagio, they had to get a guy into the building, into the past the cages, which are security badge, employees-only doors, into the room that houses all the local servers to then put devices that would basically feed the camera feeds back to them in a hotel suite somewhere else in Vegas so that they could see the cameras. And we got that. That was a scene. It was a character-building scene, and it was... uh, basically showing your work on the plot that happens in the first movie in oceans 11 
We have no explanation for it, and I honestly, it's a little inexcusable for me. Yes. I'd like to pull on my I drink and I know things card, please. Um, so hacking. Hacking used to be way more difficult than it is now because there used to be more, like James said, there used to be more hardwired things into buildings. Uh, hacking has gotten harder in some ways, easier in other things. Some things that are easier to hack into right now are things that are fed through a Wi-Fi system or uploaded. Um, because now everything's in this ethereal space that hackers really are the only ones that have access to of the cloud. We'll call it the cloud because that's what most people call it. Where things go up into the air and they're just up there. And then they go to the other place they go. It's really easy when such things are Bluetooth, Wi-Fi enabled, um, things like that. They're not hardwired into anything anymore. You don't have to plug into an actual line to get the security footage. You just need to hack into the same feed, which is way trickier coding wise, but way easier to do than getting into an actual building and plugging something into something. So we've reached this space and technology in this time period where all you need to do that is a large amount of coding knowledge, a large amount of hacking knowledge, and a laptop. You can... My point still stands so fucking strong because I don't care if you don't show me it. Tell me how. Tell me how. Say the exact same thing that you just said, but make Rihanna do it. Like... I just feel like that's common knowledge. So, like, for me, I was like, oh, yeah, that takes, like, two finger swipes for a hacker at this point to get into the security footage. To change it, they do show you how they have to do that, and it takes a little bit more work. But just to get in there and see it... That's another homage, actually, to the first movie later, uh, in my eyes, anyways. But the... eh, No, see, fucking, I don't give a shit whether or not it should be common knowledge. It... Wasn't to you? No, no, I know it's easy to hack stuff, but it's like... It's just part of the movie you're missing for... It's, there's, yes, if we're going to do a nostalgia-driven reboot, and we're going to play the classics all the time, a classic scene from the first movie that takes up a significant amount of screen time is getting their hacker into the casino cages to splice the lines, to feed himself all of the security cameras. It, and you don't... You, it can be a blurb. It can be a blurb because you're right. Hacking is easier now. But also, in my mind, if we're just going to write the plot for plot's sakes for a moment, why wouldn't we, knowing that it's next to him, it's the easiest thing ever to just rip a signal out of the fucking airwaves, why wouldn't we have the security company make it to where they're doing a flip the script on security and all of their security is in-house hardwired shit. Nothing is broadcast. Everything is wired. Make it the modern hacker's nightmare of, oh, I can't rip this off the Wi-Fi because it is hard lines. Like... Make it a challenge. Ooh, that's another thing. Absolutely nothing in this movie was difficult to do. No. Not one thing. And I know, they're all specialists at their field, right? Every character, expert at what they do. 
but that was also the case in Ocean's Eleven, and shit was difficult. They showcased it to be hard, and things happened that weren't according to plan, and things got dangerous, and they could have killed somebody, but they didn't. Off of, honestly, luck. But, like, nothing was hard in this movie. None of, none of the things that should have been difficult were difficult. And none of the things that shouldn't have been difficult were difficult either. Everything was really, really simple for these admittedly talented people, but there's no tension there. And that, I was scrolling through the fucking IMDb reviews because everyone fucking hates this movie. It's a common theme amongst the people who are watching this movie. Almost all of them are the nostalgia button people who are like, I was here because I liked the first ones. And there's tension in the first ones and it's hard in the first ones and it's something that's never been done before so it's difficult and all this stuff none of that exists in this movie and that's, I think that's part of why people might not like it is because what what is there to engage you besides a stellar cast that's it the plot is boring the dialogue is funny in places but dry in others the cast is the selling point of this movie. And so the story can be neglected, question mark? Ah, it's, it sucks. That sucks. And I'm not saying that the movie is bad because of it. I'm saying that sucks to have to watch a stellar cast get handed a bummer of a story to try to convince people is happening. It's so easy. Everything's so easy for them. Nothing's a challenge. It sucks. Carry on. Um, I'm going to go through this plot a little bit quickly just so we can get to a halfway point here. Yeah, because I'm at like note 10 out of 54. Um, so we go, we need now to basically convince Debbie, not Debbie. Daphne, um, that she needs Rose, the designer, to design her Met Gala dress, because that's what this whole entire thing hinges on. Um, and in the part that is probably the only, James is right, really one of the only struggles that this crew faces is getting Rose to try to convince anyone of anything, because she is a scatterbrained <laughs> mess. That a true mess. Helena portrays wonderfully, because that's kind of who Helena is as a person. Um, is a little, like, weird. So they set her up to just have a meeting with uh, another famous actress in this quote-unquote world that's played by a Fanning, who's very distinctly a Fanning. Um, it turns out to be Dakota Fanning, but I just wrote, which Fanning is that? Because they look so similar that I wouldn't be able to tell you. Um, and so we get her to... Like, pretend they set it up to make it look like she is um, going to design her dress, which makes um, Daphne jealous. She's like, well, why is she designing her dress? Like, what's so special about her? And that's the bait that Daphne needs to try to hook Rose as her designer. Um, they set up this whole meeting with them where um, Helena kills it in the scene of, like, they give her all these instructions to this very scatterbrained individual to make it look like she's, like, a, not, like, Rose is not worth Daphne's time and vice versa. So they're like, well, don't make eye contact, don't do this. Um, 
And I just wrote, why is Helena always the weird one? Because this whole scene of them, like, they basically stand outside the window to try to get, because one of the things they said is no eye contact. So they have her, it's Debbie and Lou outside the window with, like, bubble guns spraying at the window to try to get Rose to not make eye contact and be aloof with Daphne. And it was just, it was really funny. A very, a very good silly moment. It was just really funny. (laughs) And... Like I said, I enjoyed this movie, so that was just one of the scenes where I was like, that's just hilarious. It's so nonsensical, that it and it worked, um, because then Daphne's hook uh, hooked, and it was just like, it was just really nice. Um, yeah. Uh, so then, and that's when I wrote this cast is so good, like, too fucking good, because it was just, it was so... The chemistry between all the women in this was... Um, it was good. Yeah. I don't think, okay, I don't think it was as good as the chemistry with the original cast, but what I want to say is I think I would chalk that up to directorial differences. I think Steven Soderbergh did a better job getting his cast to, uh, which was a bigger cast too, to act as though they had all been like friends for years even though some of them had just met for the first time. I think he did a better job of that than Gary did getting all of the women to do the same thing. And that's not to say he did a bad job. I just think Steven Soderbergh did it better. So automatically, you're going to have people who are like, well, they didn't act like they like each other. Well, like, no, that's what they did was a more realistic thing where they're becoming friends during the movie. And that's a realistic way to look at it. If you, I mean, if you go back and watch the fucking Ocean's Eleven movie, they all immediately lay all of their trust into each other with no hesitation. And it's hilarious. That should never happen. That would never happen. It You, you have to suspend your disbelief on it and just trust that they're going to be fucking funny for the rest of the movie. Because it's outrageous to believe that they could possibly just commit this much trust to each other out the gate. Um... I think the next thing that I'm going to talk about is, uh, before we wrap up, is get our next person into this piece, which is the incredible and amazing, and again, one of probably the best actresses on the scene right now, Sarah Paulson, mm. um, who plays a longtime- Tammy. Tammy, a longtime friend of Debbie. I'm not really sure what her, like, role is in the- like, I know what she does in the heist, but I don't know why Debbie wanted to recruit her, like, what her special skills are. Other than like lifting large trucks of merchandise, um, but so we get this scene. We go out. Um, I mean, De- Tammy's like a home. She's a homebody now. She has a home and a husband and kids. Um, but then we go out into her garage and see that she just has a fuckload of stolen items. A fuckload of stolen items. That <laughs> Debbie is just wandering around and like, oh yeah, you quit. Yeah, you're done. Uh huh. I looked up from taking a note, and I was just like, God damn, that's a lot of Keurigs. Um, and so, the, and the note that I'll leave off on is, um, we go and we recruit her, and we get her into the heist, basically just by the promise of a large amount of money, um, which she's clearly still involved in the crime world, so she's fine with. Uh, she goes on a trip. And 
I think one of my, the reason I took a note on this whole scene, um, cause it wasn't like really a big scene in anything other than we just get to add another person to our plot is she then shows up at the heist meeting spot. Um, and on the phone with her child, she's like, oh, well, no, it's a work trip. Oh, what does mommy do for work? Uh, mommy finds toys, really special toys and gives them new homes. That is what being a fence is. And I was like, that is a great way to explain stealing to a child. <laughs> like, if yeah. your job is stealing things, it's a great way to, like, pass it off to your child. I It just was a really good writing moment of, like, oh, yeah, mommy finds new toys and then she, or finds toys and then she gives them new homes. Solid. Solid writing choice. Sarah Paulson's great. Um, and I'll just leave it with my this note before we end up part one, which this movie has made me laugh out loud several times and the comic star power in this movie is amazing yeah i think if you read the names in the cast for oceans 11 it's all very suave debonair types with a couple of exceptions in like scott con uh fucking elliot gould uh a there's a couple of guys in that movie that are less known for their dramatic roles and more for their comedic roles. And so when they do funny, it's like a refreshing wave. This cast was so well-balanced amongst dramatic, successful people and comedic, successful people. And the combination of both... I mean, Sandra Bullock's done comedies that are incredible Helena and dramatic, and Helena Bonham Carter and Anne Hathaway. I mean, it it's they really did do a a phenomenal job getting a bunch of really diverse casting done, and that's diverse in a lot of ways of that word. Like they're diverse in background, they're diverse in who they are, they're diverse in their career and portfolio, like. Everyone's done so much stuff, you can't really go wrong with what you want them to do. However, if you hand them a bad story, what are you going to do? They, you Polish a turd, it's still a turd. 